recording this i i don't know is this actually happening i i don't know we missed a few big things so something big must have brought us back to actually do a podcast yeah lenny vennermate got hired emerging free podcast everyone that's a big deal now here's something we hope you'll really like because there's just nothing better than this the TrojanSports.com podcast kicks off. Right now? Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said... Cock-a-doodle-doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from Rivals and Yahoo Sports. This, this is the TrojanSports.com podcast. For a USC with Trojan Sports publisher Chris P. Swanson. Move it on. You love 33. You better cut that out, man. I swear. That better. I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the beat reporter Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Sports. We start March. Yeah. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. now, now. Well, I guess that's what we're back for. Uh, After a, a pretty significant break, our apologies to all of our listeners. We're glad you're back with us, though. Uh, I'm Chris Swanson here for Adam Maya. Are they there, though? Speaking you don't for even Adam. know if they're there. We could just be talking to each other right now. We There's a good chance we could be. Yeah. Be my favorite show. Okay. Hello, everyone. We're back. And as Chris was beginning to tell you, we do apologize. We had some personal matters to tend to. Uh, I specifically had some family matters to tend to, and it hasn't been an easy time, but uh, I appreciate your patience. A lot of people were, I felt very kind and thoughtful and considerate and, you know, asked how things were going. And I appreciate that because we love doing the show. We know you guys love it. I mean, you have to love it if you're listening, right? Yeah. At this point, yes. (laughs) So, uh, we're back, and we have every intention of continuing to record. Let's just get into it. At the top of the show, we mentioned Lenny Vandermeer, that that great team. USC has hired him again. If you don't know who he is, he is a former Trojan player who's been on staff before, briefly, and has been hired back to be an assistant O-line coach. And while we're being a bit facetious, I think everybody feels like the O-line needs an upgrade. And if this will help, then amen. But we're still waiting for another hire. There's still one more vacancy on this coaching staff. And we expect that it will come on offense they technically do not have a running back coach. However, Johnny Nansen, he has done it before. Right now, he's 
he, he got a big role in the staff, but maybe not as big of a role in game preparation as the outside linebackers coach in Clancy's defense. He could maybe potentially transition back to running back coach and maybe they hire another defensive assistant. What do you think about that? Do you think that would be the way to go? What would you do with this? Because otherwise, I think the staff is set. I've been given every indication that Konechi Gazi is coming back. Uh, there was some question about that, but uh, I believe he's coming back. And everyone else got extensions and got paid. So the staff is basically set. They have made a couple hires, which we're going to get to in a minute, but those were made a while ago. What would you do with the staff at this point if, if you were Clay Helton? I would do exactly what's not going to happen and what USC hasn't been doing, and I would try to get the biggest name assistant coach I could possibly get, whether it be a running backs coach or a coach on the others on the defensive side of the football because, like you mentioned, Johnny Nansen could move to running backs coach, and I don't think that's that big of a deal. I really don't think that the, that your running backs coach is going to really make that big of a difference. So if that if the biggest name hire you can get is a running backs coach, perfect. That's awesome. But if it's a linebackers coach, if it's even another coach, I mean, really, because Clancy Pendergast has so much control over everything, it kind of seems like it's his defense in a way and everybody else's role is a little bit minimized. I, I would just try to get the biggest name assistant coach I could get, either at any defensive position or – at the running back position, and that's it because I think that's what USC needs. You know, that's that's the, what uh, the team's lacking right now, I guess, in the coaching staff is big-name guys. I mean, the only guy that's arguably a big name is Clancy Pendergast, and I'm not even sure he's that big of a name. So that would be my approach to it. I don't expect that to happen, though, because, you know, USC hasn't been hiring big-name coaches recently. Okay, so. I have another question for you, but before I okay. ask that, I'm going to agree and disagree slightly with one point that you made about the running back coach making a difference. I do believe that Gillen McCullough made a noticeable difference on this football team. And I, I, I see him as a future head coach. I think that's why you're seeing this ascension with him so quickly. But if he wasn't long for USC, then... You're happy you had him, and you say goodbye. I do. I do realize that they probably could put Johnny Nansen over there, and they'll be comfortable with it. Fine. However, what they really need is a successor on really both sides of the ball for your offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. I don't see who's next. And that would concern me because coaches leave all the time and both the coordinators, T. Martin and Clancy Pendergast, interviewed for other jobs. T. Martin, in fact, interviewed often and was looking for another job actively. Clancy, maybe mildly. But T. Martin was ready to go and just didn't get an offer that he wanted. They're not going to be there that long. So if you're Clay Hilton and you're thinking long-term, you need to prepare for that. You look around at what other people have done in the country, especially with that 10th assistant that they've been able to add, and 
they're adding coordinators essentially, right? I mean, yeah. You, you okay? You saw what what Ohio State did, where they they expected that Shiano might leave, and he he ended up not leaving, but he could have left. He could have left to the Patriots, and they go and hire Washington State's defensive coordinator Alex Grinch, who I don't know if people remember, but they he held that USC offense to. 150 passing yards. He he had T. Martin flummoxed, and now he's going to Ohio State, which I guess that's better for USC. But make a hire like that. Go hire your next defensive coordinator or your next offensive coordinator. I look back a couple years at the staff that Sark had, and while I think we both agree that we never liked that hire from day one, I like the staff. I like the process. Just look at that staff again a couple years out. You had Justin Wilcox, the defensive coordinator. Okay, he's polarizing. Some love him, some hate him. We can see now that, like, okay, he wasn't successful at USC, but regardless of that, he's done pretty well for himself since then. But behind him on that staff, you had... Peter Sermon, who went on immediately to become a defensive coordinator for two different schools. And now he's back with the Wilcox. Then you had Keith Hayward, who I think could become a defensive coordinator. He's not there yet. It's not happening for him. Maybe he doesn't, but he's of that ilk. Like, he, he wants to be that. You know, he, he wants to be a head coach. These are just things that you learn when you cover these guys and kind of what what their plan for themselves are. And that's what he wants. Whether he gets there or not, I don't know. But um, so you had two guys that were ready to do that. Then you had Chris Wilson, who was kicked to the curb, the defensive line coach, and he just won the Super Bowl with the Eagles. He's their defensive line coach. That was the defensive staff. Then on offense, Stark the offensive head coach. Okay. But beyond him, keeps Clay Helton, keeps T. Martin, that's two offensive coordinators right there. And really, one head coach and an, an eventual head coach in T. Martin. But beyond him, Tim Drevno, the line coach from that 2014 staff, went on to become offensive coordinator at Michigan. And then Marcus Tuyakoskopo, who... I would bet on becoming an offensive coordinator at some point. In fact, he's someone that I look at right now. That's someone I thought they they would give a hard look at um, with these vacancies. I thought he could have been their quarterback's coach. Um, I think he'd be a natural successor to Key Martin. He already knows his offense. He knows his system. He's worked with Clay Helton, with Key Martin. Instead... They went to Brian Ellis to be the quarterback coach. He's 29 years old. I, I'm sure Clay sees something in him. I don't doubt that. I, I know he wouldn't just give him that job. But is that, is that where things are? Is, that, is USC that established that we're going to bring in the 29-year-old, or the graduate assistant that you brought in, early 2017, 
and make him your quarterback coach. I mean, I see Pete Carroll doing that maybe in like year seven of his dynasty. Now, to be fair, he kind of did that with Kiffin and Skark. And you could argue that it worked or that it didn't. I mean, they've proven to be worthy. You know, whether, you know, the, the results were what USC wanted when Norm Chow left, and I think we know the answer to that. But they've proven to be worthy in time. And they were about Ellis's age. I'm just surprised. And I, I feel like USC could have and should have been more aggressive. Um, and then they kind of doubled down on that move with another graduate assistant promotion, Kerry Colbert, who I know everyone likes. Everyone's happy for Kerry. And now he's the tight ends coach slash inside receivers coach for USC. In a vacuum, I get it, but that's not what we're operating in right now. You're, you're taking the staff as a whole, and I think it's just unimpressive. I'm just being honest. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Wow. so you mentioned a big name hire, but... Yeah. What's the purpose behind that? Because again, I, I don't really. I'm not thinking about so much of like the splash. I'm thinking more about the plan. What's next? Well, I think we. I think we actually agree because I think that that's what the big name hire is. I think not only, not only do you get the splash, not only do you get the kind of like, oh, on the recruiting trail, look, we have this, you know, this fancy coach or whatever. You get the game day, like, you know, pick his brain, his input into the game plan. And then in the future, like you said, right, somebody leaves, you have your backup plan, you have your next offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. Because apparently you don't believe in Brian Ellis to take over as offensive coordinator or for Ronnie Bradford to take over as defensive coordinator. So I think that's what it gives you. I think that's why we kind of agree. Uh, with our points, yours was just well more thought out yeah. when I just... I, I got to spend yeah. a few minutes with Brian Ellis, and he was very impressive, and he's another one where I would kind of say, okay, this this guy, I was going to call him kid, but I, I'm not trying to, to be mocking here. I mean, we're about the same age. This guy wants to be an offensive coordinator, and he came off as a very bright mind. I don't doubt any of that. I don't doubt that he'll become that. This isn't me doubting him. It's more... USC, I think, needs more right now. That's just my feeling on things. I think they need more from their staff as a whole. And... I I wonder... I There's just been a question as to how players develop. And... It might be unfair. We've seen outstanding players in the last five years. And with each one, an argument could be made that they kind of came that way. But we, it's, it's subjective. We don't know, you know, how much growth there was for, you know, Dory Jackson or Sua Cravens or Juju Smith-Schuster or even Sam Darnold. We wonder. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like we've yeah. talked about this. You can argue that 
Okay, these were five stars. Darnold obviously wasn't, but the others. And they were going to be good. Like, their their floor was extremely high. And maybe they didn't even reach their potential at USC. They can kind of feel that way, too. Yeah. In, in fact, with each guy I named, their better seasons came before their final season at USC. Each one. They had a better year the year before they left. Well, I, I, I think that, I mean, it really comes down to your, your reasoning and my reasoning really comes down to the fact that, hey, do we trust what's up top? Do we trust the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the defensive coordinator? And I think that the answer is right now, not really, at least with two out of the three, I think, maybe. And if you do trust those people, I don't think you see any problem with how USC is hiring because if you think Clay Helton's the right guy, if you're one of those people that's like, he won the Rose Bowl and went to the Cotton Bowl, and this is his you know, impressive record or whatever. This is how many wins he has. And if you have confidence in him and you know, in T. Martin because of how he can recruit and because of some of the things that some of these offensive players have done, then I think USC's coaching hires, you know, look pretty normal, right? Because Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, whatever else, I know that, you know, they might be missing that like 10th assistant aggression that you were talking about, but they hire a bunch of guys too that, you know, maybe aren't super overly qualified in some of these assistant roles. And then it's just kind of their greatness that makes it all work out sometimes. And so I, I think that uh, we just have to acknowledge the other side a little bit because, uh, I think that our approach to how USC should, you know, go after another coach comes down to the fact that we think that they're kind of cheap when it comes to this sort of thing. And we think that they're not really aggressive and trying to get the best coaching talent out there. If you disagree with us, uh, you know, the top three guys on the staff, there's probably nothing wrong really with how USC is getting coaches in your opinion, right? Because if those top three guys are, are quality, I'm totally okay with them hiring anybody. I just don't think that they are. That was going to be my next question because we've heard that. We've heard that they're very frugal in this way. Now, we know that they extended not only the coordinators but Clay Helton. Those extensions came with raises. But what about everybody else? Are they dropping that money for other people? Tyson Helton leaves for Tennessee and he's making over a million dollars. I can tell you right now that the other USC assistants aren't making anything near that. We know USC has the money. How much do you buy that cash is kind of the, the issue here? Or is it Clay's network? Because as of right now, especially with Gila McCullough having moved on, everybody on this staff has like one degree of Separation from Helton. Yeah. The entire staff. I think it's now. Like, the, the whole thing yeah. has one. In fact, the furthest separation would be Ronnie Bradford, who connected to Clancy. So I guess he's two degrees. But everybody else is one degree. He, he worked with them or he knows them personally. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's definitely an issue. Uh, I really do, but I also. I don't think USC is going to spend a bunch of money either. I think that they would have an issue getting those guys because I don't think they have coaches that know them. And I, I don't think that USC is an attractive, as attractive as other places if you're an assistant coach 
considering that their head coach is a little bit untested, unproven. Uh, you know, I think you could go somewhere else and, you know, maybe have a better opportunity to grow and thrive. So I think it's all an issue, but I don't think USC is looking to spend a lot of money either unless, you know, the product on the field proves to be, uh, you know, amazing, incredible. I think that if Clay Helton, you know, started won back-to-back national titles or something like that or, you know, started really competing at an elite, elite level – I think USC would spend more. I think everybody would get a raise. You know, yeah, but what comes first, left. the chicken or the egg? Like, can you win the well, back-to-back national title without an improved staff? I don't think so. Well, see, I, I, do, I, I completely agree with that. Is I don't think you can. Is I, I, think, I think that the formula is, and I think that the formula that you see most other big football programs use, is that you have to guess who's good. You have to put out that huge offer you know, to a coach that at the end of the day hasn't, you know, has obviously proven a lot, but hasn't, you know, proven to be the the top level pay guy. You have to pay somebody like that and hope that you pick the right guy. And if you don't, you fire him. And to me, it seems like USC's approach is, you know, we'll, we won't have that budget until we get those results. And it seems like it's it's kind of been that way recently I mean, Pete Carroll wasn't paid that way and then when he won he was paid that way and it seemed like they had you know all the money in the world all of a sudden Carroll had a network all sorts of things that's a big difference he, he did he had a network whether the money was there or not he had a network I know I I completely agree I'm not I think that the money came later yeah with him. so yeah you're right it was that he had a network so maybe I guess your point is right is that if I'm choosing what would help Clay Helton win you know, faster, more money for assistance or him knowing more coaches, I would say him knowing more coaches without question. I just don't think USC is the kind of program that's, you know, going to give him the financial help if he doesn't, you know, know those coaches. Yeah, well, I mean, that's not going to happen, though. He's not going to just spontaneously change his nature and start bringing in all these guys that he doesn't know. He's going to need the money. He... He needs the money yeah. to get people. But that doesn't come till you win at USC. That's what I think anyway. Yeah. So do you think that they haven't won enough with him to warrant giving him more a bigger budget for assistant coaches? Uh if if you're I mean, I, if you're coaching Akias right now, do you give him more money to hire I would say no, but I'm not I mean, I'm not entirely sure they think that way, although it seems like they do as well, because they just gave him everybody extensions and I wouldn't have done that yet either. So I feel like I, I might be a little hypercritical when it comes to USC football no, or something or not you right? Or like I have a higher standard yeah. than you know, the president does or something, because my answer is no. Is like I don't know about that. Me, I heard a good story uh, this morning actually. Oh, yeah. really? So I've been listening to the... Why don't you tell your I'm story? I'm going to tell you. I've, I've been listening to this podcast, James Andrew Miller, Origin. Really good. Check it out. And he's doing a series on ESPN. And he's talking to Paul Feinbaum. And Feinbaum proceeds to tell him a story about Lane Kiffin. And I guess the morning of the USC-Arizona State game from... 2013, the infamous tarmac game. That morning, Feinbaum goes on TV and proceeds to call Lane Kiffin the Miley Cyrus of college football, which 
I still don't really get like the joke, but I guess it was funny or offensive or whatever. Anyway, but he makes his comment, and and he and he go he goes on to say that he he doesn't know why Kiffin even got that job in the first place at USC, and he'll be fired soon, if not maybe after that game. Sure enough, they lose. They lose by 20. He gets fired. Well, what Feinbaum revealed is that apparently, Kiffin told Feinbaum that he said the president, which was Nikias, and Hayden were having breakfast that morning and were watching that program. They were watching Game Day that morning and they heard Feinbaum's comments. And that Nikias turned to Hayden and told him, if we lose today, I want you to fire him. <laughs> and so that apparently that's what happened. I mean, I, and I believe it. I, I hear that and I, I believe it. I, I think that's what happened. Well, I just realized that, that Coach Nikias has a higher standard for USC football than I do. Right. Apparently. Every game is life or death. Wow. Yeah. It's a little shocking. <laughs> it's telling. I think it's just telling. Yeah. Because winning or losing that game really didn't tell you anything about Kiffin at that point that you didn't already know. And I, I don't really want to get into all that, but let's just deal with now and assistance. And I just see a lack of understanding and experience with big time football from that part of the USC administration. And I think it's hurting them right now. Yeah. I think that they do need to improve the staff. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll prove me and many others wrong this season. This would be the year to do it, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. You're, you're losing. Yeah, there's no expectations you're losing your, this your quarterback year. who's going to go in the top three of the NFL draft. And you're losing your feature running back and your top receiver, which, if you can catch this on Twitter or on our site, I, I can report this. This is really unprecedented for USC to have to overhaul that much of their offense. The last time where they had to replace their quarterback, their leading rusher and leading receiver was after the 1981 season, which was really just the Marcus Allen offense. He was the leading running, obviously the leading rusher, but also the leading receiver, and they didn't throw very much. And so the following year, they had a new quarterback, you know, new leading rusher, new leading receiver. Okay. But in the passing era of USC, which really would begin, let's say, in the, the late 80s, this did not happen. Well, they had to reload at all those spots to this degree. And then they're losing their starting defensive line, Rasheem Green, Josh Fakio. And you're losing Yuchenga Nilosu, your best defensive player. 
So they're losing some of your best players, right? That's probably five of their top seven players on the team. I mean, Cam was the one that came back. But you're losing a lot of your best players. You have a lot of talent still. Any any coach in the Pac-12 would take this roster right now. They love it. So they have enough to yeah. win. How soon, I don't know. I'm not saying that they have to exceed what they did last year, this upcoming year. I don't even think that's realistic at all. No. No. At, at all. If USC wins 11 games, I, I know that everybody's going to – you know, and and I think that they before the season they're probably going to be uh, given higher expectations than maybe we expect, because uh, I'm sure there will be a lot of talk about oh, you know, the Pac-12 South and the, the, these teams are down and they're they're missing a lot too or whatever else. But I really think hey, if USC wins like ten games in the regular season, what kind of coaching job is that? That's like a great coaching job. Yeah, you know I mean that's like a, that's like an incredible coaching job. I really do feel that way. They're going to find tough games, uh, even if it doesn't look tough. I think it actually does kind of look tough if you look at the schedule, um, you know, just with Texas on the road. On paper, then, it's tough, yes. You know, it's tougher yeah. than it was last year. You never know how a season will go, but on paper, it figures to be a tougher schedule. Yeah, but, you know, if they win 10 games, I'm going to give Clay Helton all the praise in the world. Will you really? I will. Yeah. I mean, hold it against me if I don't. <laughs> no, of course, of course. I mean, this is going to be a real test. In fact, I wonder if people are going to overreact if he doesn't really even approach that. Let's say they go seven yeah, I think and they five. Will. Yeah, I think people will overreact because it's L.A. Man, it's it's USC. You know, it's like. It never matters what, you know, the the issues are. There's sometimes just issues you can't overcome, really, it seems like. And and nobody cares in this market right. about that kind of stuff. You know, um, I remember, I mean, if you look back at that, that seven-win team and write no excuses for that team, but they played three teams in the top five. Um, the next year, you know, they had, they had basically the starting offensive line that we saw in 2016, but it was in 2013. It's like, of course they're going to struggle. There were sanctions around those times. Right. And it didn't matter. No one cared. Yeah. It was like, why is USC, why does USC have a bad record? That's all it was. So I think if they go seven and five, even if JT Daniels is the starting quarter, you know, quarterback and, and their defense, they can't figure out a defensive line. They can't stop the run or whatever else. And they just get murdered in some games and it just doesn't seem fair. It seems like they don't have the roster or something like that. No one's going to care. The USC will be expected to compete for a PAC 12 championship yeah. no matter what. So it, let me ask you this. Yeah. Helton now, which is I think a credit to him, but he'll he'll draw these unfair comparisons to Pete Carroll. And we know that Carroll went seven years in a row winning at least eleven games. And it didn't matter when Heisman winner Carson Palmer left or Heisman winner Matt Leinert left and, and Reggie. You know, and even John David Boogie. It just didn't matter. Yeah. They just kept going. 
Forget about that, because Carroll is obviously a leak. Helching is unproven. Who is someone that you would consider a good coach? They're not great, but they're good. You think they're good. Who would fall into that category for you? Um, I think a lot of coaches that people think are they are good, I kind of think are great. Uh, so I, I want to say Kyle Whittingham, but I think he's great. So probably not him. Okay, well, uh, we can, Rich Rodriguez. We can use Kyle Whittingham. I like that better. That's fine. Because okay. Kyle Whittingham could have been the coach at this point. Um, okay. If Kyle Whittingham were the coach right now, and again, we're just talking here, obviously, with, with the losses that they have and the schedule they have, USC, everything exactly how it is except Kyle Whittingham is the coach, right? And I mean, yes. forget about the whole, like, who the coordinators are and all that because I just, I don't want to get a headache right now. But, okay, how many games do you think they'd win? What do you think their record would be in the 12-game regular season? This upcoming yeah. season? 8-4 uh, and four or 9-3, and okay. three, something yeah. like that's that. That's the number I had in my head, too, 8-4. and four. Okay. Okay. Just, I'm curious because... If USC were to win seven games with Helton, then I feel like, based off our subjectivity, he did all right. He didn't fail miserably. That that wouldn't prove that he's unfit for the job. No. Well, see, the next year will be tough for me on the podcast because I honestly feel like if they go to a bowl game... Mm-hmm. I'm really not going to have too much to say about him negatively. Uh, you know, I, Oh, they just I, have to go 500? I, well, I, I, I don't – I almost feel like it, depending on what happens going – like if they're starting JT Daniels at quarterback, dude, I don't expect anything. You know what I mean? Like, anything and, big, and maybe, right. Well, I, like, I just expect them to you know, be very okay average – not ranked mm-hmm. type, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I feel like if they were a fringe top 25 team with JT Daniels, be I'd be like, oh, wow, that's re-. Like, I was impressed by the 2009 team it, with hindsight. I know, you yeah. know what I mean? At the time, probably not. But with hindsight, it's like, oh, my gosh, they were really a few points away from maybe winning 10 or 11 games. And yeah. they were had Matt Barkley, mm-hmm. right? That's impressive. But that I think was after a run of seven years of – being a national title exactly player. exactly so That's I, I not get where they're the, at right now. no no but i know the roster looks good and there's a lot of potential but that's why the coaching staff really matters i think because development i, I look back and it's just, who's developing and how are they developing are enough guys developing the offensive line has not developed in some time no, I agree. This is not I agree. what we're accustomed to seeing from USC, USC offensive linemen. Yeah, well, but I think that that will be telling too because I think that if that continues next year and if they do have a freshman quarterback and they will have a first-time starter, right, and, uh, and they're replacing all these other pieces on offense and defense, and if they're not developed in the trenches, you know, you're not going to have guys bailing you out anymore. So it it will be telling. I mean, it may be that, but I think that that would be like a disaster if it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it would get really bad if if it was if 
guys weren't being developed. People have been pretty hard on Callaway. And he's going into year three. And I feel like this year would definitely be a year where I think it'd be fair to make a judgment at the end of the season. Because you look at what they're bringing back. They lose Nico Fala, but Joel Lovingon's moving to center. That that should be fine. That, I actually expect that to be an upgrade. Maybe not a dramatic one, but a slight upgrade. Okay, you got Chuma Joga, a senior now, back at right tackle. You have Chris Brown, right shirt junior, left guard, returning starter. At right guard, there will probably be some competition, but I know they really like Andrew Voorhees. He got a good amount of playing time. We'll see how healthy he is, but he could be a returning starter at right guard because he did start the majority of the year. And then at left tackle, you have options. That's unfortunately young, and you know it's not like you're returning a starter. But Austin Jackson did play. Clayton Johnston played. So it's good. You have competition there. They're both comfortable there. If one of them, whoever wins the job, they should be they should be decent at this point. They might not be elite yet. They should be decent. That's a pretty good offensive line. I don't see the first round talent that I was alluding to a moment ago. With you don't need that in the conference, though. You don't. I think you need it nationally to compete. Yeah. And that's kind of my biggest takeaway, actually, from the Cotton Bowl. Uh, that's not something that we've had a chance to discuss yet on a podcast. I want to ask you about that as well, but I'll already get into mine. Offensive line play. It, it was a mess. It was a nightmare. Yeah. And it, yeah. it went to show that if if you're not right there, then you really can't do anything. I, I know that the turnovers yeah. killed him. Okay, I'm not going to absolve Darnold or Deontay Burnett, who people have forgotten also, who had a hand in these turnovers. But at the same time, a great team can overcome turnovers, believe it or not. It's not easy, well, but they can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And they do it. They, and and that kind of showed me that USC just wasn't there. They weren't at that level. No, they were outclassed. And, and, and so going back to the offensive line, I mean, Ohio State was rushing three sometimes and getting to the quarterback. And really didn't blitz. You know, they, they did occasionally, but they didn't really even have to. They compiled eight sacks. I mean, these are numbers that you guys, I'm sure, know. But eight sacks, you can't, you can't win. Like, that's impossible. They couldn't run the ball. It just reminded me a lot of Alabama yeah. from, really, two years ago, the beginning yeah. of the, the 2016 season, which it, it was a bit shocking to me because of who they have on offense. And it's the end of the year. It's not the opener with a new quarterback, right? It, it, you're you're comfortable. You're familiar with the stadium at this yeah. point. You've been there with the travel, with the schedule. There's really no excuse to just lay a complete egg on offense like they did. I think a lot of people thought USC was gonna was gonna win the game. Yeah, or I mean, at the very least, be competitive. Yeah, well, I, I think everybody expected it to be competitive. It was supposed to be, like, the best non-playoff matchup. Right. 
right? Two teams that supposedly had arguments to get in. I think Ohio State's was obviously much better, but right, it was like mm-hmm. the next two. And a lot of people picked USC. I, you know, I picked Ohio State, and I felt like, man, you know, if USC, they have some offensive weapons. If they score, you know, they might run away with this game, and people might mock me. Well, if you don't have a good, they, yeah, they, you're right. If, if you don't have a good offensive line. You're not good. You won't be good. You can't. Yeah. You know, and, and so again, it was good enough for the Pac-12. Therefore, USC yeah. was a good team. But yeah. if you're going to win, if you're going to win the Final Four, if you're going to win these, you know, these New Year's Day, uh, New Year's Six bowl games, you got to have a really good offensive line. Yeah. And the most jarring number for me from the whole season was the sex. John Mill got sex six times in 2016. When he started 10 games and he played in all 13, he got sacked only six times. If you listen to the entire nation, last year, he got sacked 29 times. Nearly five times more. I mean, Rojo was irrelevant in that game. And we've seen that before. And we know enough about Rojo at this point to know that, okay, if he can't get anything, if, if nothing's happening, it's not him. He's proven that. And he did nothing in that game. Yeah. Yeah, no, he didn't. And I, I honestly, I think that it's, uh, I think it started to impact the offensive line recruiting a little bit. As well, what do you mean? this is just maybe. Well, I look at their class, and USC's class was so good. The, the 2018 class that they just signed. Where's the hole? It's the offensive line. You know, that's the one place. And I get that it probably wasn't you know as big of a priority as some other spots. It's a smaller class. Sure. They had a lot of holes to fill or whatever. But look at who they signed on the offensive line. It was two guys that are definitely going to USC. I know that they're both good, right? Mm-hmm. They're both good players, Justin Dedich and Liam Douglas, both in the Rivals 250. But those are two guys that it's like, oh, those guys are almost certainly going to USC any year. They're local kids, local linemen. I mean, UCLA doesn't beat USC for linemen. We know where those kids go. What did they do nationally on the offensive line? Nothing. It seemed like absolutely every target they had, every big-name target that would have been like, whoa, that's a game-changing player, turned them down. Yeah. It's been like that for a while for the most part, I think people will point to Austin Jackson. That's fine. Like, okay. But four out of five that they've really wanted that were national recruits, that meaning they were being aggressively pursued by yeah. country, by a <laughs> country, by by schools throughout the country, didn't end up at USC. Yeah, and even some in their backyard. Yeah, and I, I mean, Panay Sewell Jr., Angela, those are guys in Utah. You know, you had Jackson Carmen on campus, and you don't really get close with him. You know, it's just it it just seems like there's too many examples. Uh, you know, of guys just going just looking. I mean, they'll look, but it seems like they just ended up with the guys that it's like, oh, they'll get them. They needed that other you know big name, that other those other two big names. And I think that you know the proofs in the pudding. They don't they, they don't have a big time offensive line coach, and it seems like the offensive line at USC has struggled in 
every nationally televised game, all these big games. Yeah. Their offensive line does not perform in any of them. And, and you know, it starts to hurt everything because how are you going to get the kids to come, right, if your offensive line isn't performing on television? And, you know, that's a product possibly of uh, them not being developed. Yeah. So. I mean, it's been a while since they've had a first-round offensive lineman. Yeah. Matt Khalil, 2012. Yeah, it's crazy. That's a, a little, little bit of a drought there for USC. And if you look at their history... They've had a lot of multi-year starters, though. Yeah. Which... That's an interesting phenomenon, too. You think that, hey, you have... If you told me USC had this many multi-year starters, and I'm sure if we listed them out, it's an impressive, right, number, that maybe you don't even see that often, and none of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's winning on the field, and there's winning recruiting. And I think offensive line is maybe the one position, at least more than any other, where they haven't been winning as, as as high of a level as they have elsewhere in the roster no, in recruiting. completely agree. And a few years ago, I would have said it was in the trenches in general. I would have said it was the defensive line as well. But the last two classes, Kenenshu Desi has done a really good job with getting those guys. So, I, you yeah. know, we don't know if they're going to pan out and, you know, turn out to be as good as, like, the Rasheem Green or whatever else. But um, they've gotten the names, at least. So... Yeah. We'll see. It's a big it could be a big problem though, if they don't get that offensive line fixed. Because, you know, whenever they step up a competition, you can't win. You can't win if you're behind in that area. It's too important. Let's talk about that twenty eighteen class a bit more. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So if I were grading it, I'd probably grade it an A. Um, it, I okay. couldn't go below an A minus because I look at it more from an operation standpoint. Like I, I'm not the one scouting these guys, right? And I'm not going to be responsible for coaching them, and I really don't dissect them until they get to Howard Jones. It's just kind of been my approach, where when I get to see them in person on a regular basis. Um, you see them quite a bit more than I do before they get there, so I can get your your takes on on them right now and prospects. But what I'm looking at is the roster construction, and we did an exercise back in May where we broke down what the needs were for this 2018 class. And again, this was about nine months ago that we did this, and. We started with a 15-man class because we knew that it would be smaller and, you know, even up until the final minute, we didn't know exactly what it would be. ended up being 18. Okay. So we started with 15 and we added, you know, here are the next five. You know, if they have room, this is where you would go from here. Anyway, long story short, they met all but one need that we listed out of their 18-man class. The only thing that I would have done differently for the roster would have been to get another tailback 
in place of that sixth linebacker that they brought in. Now, those six linebackers are playing four different positions, and that's why they brought in so many. Because they're called linebackers, but you can also call them defensive ends. So we're talking about the Predator, we're talking about the Sam, the Mike, and the Will. So I don't think it's a problem that they brought in that many. I just think that they had enough uh, in the cupboard that they could have brought in five. And I think they do need another tailback. Because right now, look at what they've got. Look at their their depth chart. You have a lot of eggs in the Stephen Carr basket. Yep. And Stephen Carr looked like a million bucks before he got injured. Not so much when he came back. Now, you can give, you can give him benefit of the doubt because of what you saw and you can just naturally assume that he wasn't quite right and 100% um, really the second half of the season. That might have been the case. I don't know. He said that he was fine. And he just come back for a couple weeks. In fact, by the time he played in that Cotton Bowl, he'd been back for two months. But even in that Cotton Bowl, he was a non-factor. You know, and that might have been more against the game plan. I just know what I saw. And he, he he's not Rojo. And I, I hear, keep hearing that, like, okay, USC's fine. Rojo, he was great, but he's moving on. And Carr, he can do more, right? And I agree with that. He can't do more. He is more well-rounded. But is he as good? And right now, absolutely not. And so right now, that's your feature back. And I, I think there's still a lot to learn about him. But I'm on board with the fact that he could be a star. I thought he looked like one that first month of the season before he initially went down. But then behind him, then what? What do you got? If Carr goes down again, right? I mean, if Carr's healthy and Carr's playing like he did in September, then great. You have your feature back. He's a workhorse. And you have depth behind him. You're not really concerned about having four running backs. But if Carr goes down, right, or if Carr's just limited or Carr's ineffective, then what? You don't have another Stephen Carr on the roster or what we think Stephen Carr could be. You don't have that. You have serviceable guys, and you added a power back, which I love. I, I've been wanting that for a few years now. I think they desperately need it. I think he could be a huge asset, maybe even from the get-go. Marquise Step, that is. So I would have brought in two tailbacks, one being a power back, and the other one being the other, your next Rojo, your next Steven Carr. That's what I would, I would have looked for. I really think they needed another tailback. But beyond that, I think they met every need that they had. Uh, I especially like that they were aggressive with cornerbacks. They brought in three of them. I was told that they would, and they did it. They pulled it off. It's not always easy to, put, to bring in three in one class. 
but they really needed it. Because after this upcoming season, Biggie's gone, Jack Jones could be gone, and even if he's not, right now, you just have guys, and you're trying to figure out who's who and what's what. We don't know about Greg Johnson yet. I thought he looked alright before he got hurt. You have guys that might be transferring out. You have Tom Davis who just transitioned to the position. We'll see if that sticks. They really needed to go hard on that that position. I, I felt like that was their biggest need of any one position for the 2018 class. So therefore, I'm giving it an A. What about you? Yeah, um... I'm going to give it an A minus. Okay. And I think if you're really looking at it as like from you from a USC perspective, maybe it's a B plus even. I think that uh, it proved once again that if USC doesn't hit outside of the West Coast, USC can still sign one of the best classes in the country. I think it proved again that USC probably has the best situation for recruiting of any school. Los Angeles is the best place to be. They're in the middle of it. No one else in the Pac-12 has that type of football program. And they can get people to come to L.A. if they really need to. And they didn't even this time. They didn't really get a lot of people to come they to have L.A. They to work with, is what you're saying. And exactly. Yeah. It's the best situation. Because really, if you look at their class, you'll realize there's so many big names that they hosted on campus or that they were in their top five, whatever else, that they didn't get. They really had the potential to be far and away the number one class in the country, and it didn't happen. So that makes me kind of hold off a little bit on, on going too far. I have to go A minus because it's it's they're ranked number three, right? I can't say they're a B. I can't say they're outside of A. But I just really think that with everything that was going on, they probably should have been able to pull off the number one class in the country. Yeah. This year, um, I look at some. Th- at all the position groups, and I think that they did do a great job with most of them. Cornerback, linebacker, I don't think you could do any better. Uh, quarterback, wide receiver, I don't think you could do any better. Obviously, it was their choice, even though they were recruiting tight ends, not to take a tight end. I'm not going to hold that against them. I'm not going to no, hold their defensive line. They didn't need a tight end. And no, they in didn't. Fact, I, I, I'm just... I didn't know if they were going to bring in five receivers and – they yes. had one, and then they added one late. That was great, too. We have to yes. applaud them for, for showing some restraint there. Yes. I'm I'm listing things that where they didn't get a, a lot of guys, yeah. and I'm explaining yeah. it. Defensive line, right? Maybe I would have taken more. Maybe that now, would have been my preference. I understand what they're that doing. That could be misleading. They, People just want to say, load up on that every year. Well, they kind of get because they only played two down linemen. They brought in two. They brought in four the year before. And they also yeah. brought in ends. So that two is, can be manipulated as four. It wasn't – they needed two. In fact, that, that's one thing that we had marked down way back in May. They only needed two down linemen. They brought in two. Yeah. They did that right. So, yes. Okay. So – Really, when I look and I say, where are the holes in this class, right? I'm not going to say tight end. I'm not going to say defensive line because of those things. I look at the offensive line, which I mentioned before, running back, and safety. 
Okay. Yeah. This is where the class doesn't become an A plus to me. USC needed running backs desperately. I know you've gone over this a little bit. I'm going to go over it a little bit more. They needed them desperately in this class. I they let so. Michael. I mean, they yes. clearly didn't agree. And it wasn't that they were trying to get two and then they failed. They were content with one. I just look at the depth chart and I think you should bring in two guys. See, I'm not sure that they disagree with you. Because if you look at who they offered, I think they offered about 20 running backs across the country. Now, they didn't go to that local guy. So maybe you're right. You know what I mean? They didn't go to that L.A. you know, backup back. They... uh, they let uh, Treshawn Harrison, who's very interested in them, they, they didn't go after him late, so maybe you're right. Maybe they only did want one. But early on, they recruited a lot. They offered around 20 guys. Yeah. And I mean, they were it seemed like. Yes. But they weren't and you remember, hey, you know, James Cook didn't end up coming, right? Yeah. Uh, Michael Sal Hutton flipped. They had all these other guys looking. Jeremy Banks, Tavion Thomas, whatever. They had all these guys looking. They end up with Marquis Stepp. I like Marquis Step a lot. I think if that's your one back, there's a little bit of a concern because Notre Dame and him parted ways. It, you know what I mean? It didn't seem like USC was the first choice. It was like that happened. Then he ended up at USC. So I look at that, and even though he's ranked, you know, in the Rivals 250 or whatever, I wonder a little bit. Hey, yeah. you know, if you're taking one, is this the top guys? So to me, that's a little bit of a weak point. I think that that should have been stronger. They should have taken two. I would have been happy with Steph as maybe the second guy, right? Yeah, I mean, if in a in a class of two, then I'm like, oh, that's strong. Now, maybe no matter who that other guy is, but we, one guy, maybe fringe rivals two fifty guy. I look at that and I go, okay, that could have been better. They could have done that better. Um, I you know that that just jumps out to me. Offensive line, I think they missed on a bunch of guys. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think that they really uh, uh, recruited that position aggressively. Mm-hmm. I know I mentioned, you know, Jackson Carmen, a guy they're probably not going to get. But just look out west. I mean, what Junior Angelo in Utah missed on him, missed on Panay Sewell. They offered Jameer Johnson from Arizona Western College late. He ended up going to Tennessee. Jaron Kump from Utah, they offered him after he's committed to BYU. He flipped to Utah. So he actually flipped, but he didn't flip to them. Mm-hmm. He flipped to Utah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just so many guys. Cade Beresford up in Washington, Wazoo commit. They offered him late. Couldn't get him to flip. It just, that, to me, screams, okay, there's a problem here. They wanted more. They maybe should have taken more offensive linemen. I think that's fair to argue. They didn't pull it off. They didn't get the high-end guys that they wanted. That position really holds this class back from being an A or an A-plus to me because, well, I like Justin Dietrich. Well, I like Liam Douglas. They're missing a high-end guy. They're missing, you know, that super elite talent. And they offered so many guys. They tried so hard there. And to me, it just felt like that was a miss. The last miss to me was it safety. I don't think it was as big of a priority. And maybe like tight end defensive line. You know, I'm willing to give them a little leeway here because I know they recruited it well last year. But to let Jaden Wood be you know, a five-star guy in your backyard, go all the way across the country to Florida State, I think he could have easily taken two. I think, you know, they should have taken him. And so that's another miss to me that maybe dings them a little bit. To me, the big thing is the... Yeah, Julius Irvin, great point. I totally blanked on him. 
uh, he could have played safety as well, safety corner. Maybe I slotted him in a corner. Maybe that's why I didn't mention him. But yeah, another guy that they should have gotten. Uh, you know, they ended up going to Washington. So those three positions jump out at me, and I think like, hey, they should have gotten Irvin and Woodby. Then all of a sudden, they have one of the best safety classes in the entire country, without question. I think. Uh, you know, they maybe if they had kept Sal Hudden and gone step, impressive tailback class. They just added one more elite offensive lineman, or you know, maybe kept some of these Utah guys closer to home, or you know, gotten them away from Utah or whatever. Uh, you know, flip to Cade Beresford. Maybe their offensive line group is really good all of a sudden. I think it's suspect just because it's two guys and two local guys. Very good. Both very good. But it makes it suspect to me. Makes it an A-minus class. And then just the overall, just missing on a lot of big names. I know you can't expect USC to sign every guy from out of state. That's ridiculous. They should have gotten one or two five-star guys from across the country. Well, they, they haven't gotten that in five years. It, but it should be happening. Yeah. I, it should be that happening could, That's another USC. conversation. I mean, they literally have okay. not done that in five years. And even if they didn't do that, even if they fully took advantage of the West Coast, I think if they have gone, would be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and Julius Irvin and Sewell and Junior Angelau. They didn't have room and, for you know, all that. I mean, you're, you have to drop people then. I, I, I understand, but I'm saying if they had gotten some of these other mm-hmm. guys that were high, more highly ranked, I'm not, I'm not going to guess who they would have dropped or whatever, but pretty sure that those guys that I mentioned, maybe outside of Angelau, they would have taken all of them. Sewell would be Julius Irving, right? The class, even with just well, the West Coast guys, maybe even had potential to be better. And they, you know, Gage and Douglas so. were already signed. And that's kind of the tricky part with the early signing day. They were already locked in yeah. on those two. That's, so that's another thing, too, that, that I guess we should mention when talking about ranking this class is, is how did they do on early signing day? Because uh, Chase Williams jumps out to me. Mm-hmm. Right, as a guy that you know, do you have? Do you maybe not have room at the end for somebody? And you're thinking, should we have signed him? You know, uh, there's there's a bunch of guys like that actually. You know, that you could you could really kind of jumble around and and think at the end, hey, yeah, was this the best choice? I think that you know, maybe that impacts the grade a little bit too. Yeah. Maybe they're a little bit too eager to sign. You know, as well, many people as they could have right they away. Maybe less they should have waited. Other that, that's, yeah, I mean, that's true. It, it makes it harder because I understand what you're saying. I realize that, uh, you know, if you take if you if you would have gotten Carmen and Penny Swell, then what? Then you have four offensive linemen when you really needed two, three max, and now you're yeah. going to do without another position of need. Because, like I mentioned, they really met every need. They did. Yeah. And the only place where there was excess was they needed one receiver and they got two. But you're not going to say no to Devin Williams. Yeah. And yeah. they needed – they could have gone with four linebackers or five. They went with six and they, they added Elijah Winston. And they probably don't if they get one of these linemen. I think that was kind yeah. of the trade-off there. Or a, or a Jaden would be. Maybe, you know, then you don't take it. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe Michael Salahuddin, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I so to me it just really came down to it just seemed like there were there were a few high end names, you know, all over the country and even out west where it seems like it didn't hit, and it seemed like it could have been better. Now it was ranked number three according to Rivals.com. Amazing class. My biggest worry though is the is the offensive line. If I had to pick one thing, I get the running back thing, I get the safety thing as well, the offensive line. I just just and you know that might be because of how the team has been recently and how they're developing people. And maybe that's not even fair for me to say that, to even bring that up, really, because if they develop these guys, would I have the same issue? Would I feel the same way? And offensive linemen aren't, you know, you're not going to get a high school recruit to just come in and play right away. So it's not like because they missed Jackson Carmen, right? It it changed the 2018 season. They'd still have to develop the kid. And, you know, maybe it wouldn't even matter if they got him. So, I don't know. That's just the one yeah. area that seems kind of concerning. We've said that right there, for a while. That's not new. Okay? They they have not yeah. signed a five-star prospect east of Utah since 2013 when they brought in a few of them. Kenny Bigelow, yeah. Leon McQuay, Ty Isaac. That same year is also the last time, or no, excuse me, um, 2012 is the last time that they signed a five-star offensive lineman. Zach Banner, Jordan Simmons. It's been a while. Yeah. That's been an issue with whoever was the head coach and uh, offensive line coach. They've gone through many coaches um, on the offensive line since that time. And I guess we're, we're, we're calling attention to it because We've seen USC do it before. But I think that comes with winning. I think that we, you're going to be able to pull a lot more of those kids from across the country. Um, and on the offensive line, when you start winning at a higher level. And I call, it's hard to win without them, though, right? But... yeah. I think to chicken or the egg yeah, argument. It's another again. one. I think there's enough in the West for USC to get into the Final Four. Yeah, I think that <laughs> that this class absolutely proved that they didn't even uh, hit every target out West. No, no really. I don't mean recruiting rankings. I don't care about that. I'm talking about the fi- the real oh. Final Four. No, 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 I know, but I'm just, I just feel like the talent's there. Like, they just proved, like, if they just, if they just focused on California, it feels like there's enough talent for them to even get For the most part, yes. Yeah. They have enough. This is a team, I posed this question maybe a week and a half ago. Do we think Clay Helkin will ever win a national title at USC? And then the follow-up was, um, if he doesn't, by what year would you want to move on from him? And, you know, I, I kind of copped out, okay? Like, actually, the first question was, do I think he'll win it uh, within, within the next two years? Because all the USC coaches that he won national titles before, Howard Jones, John McKay, John Robinson, Pete Carroll, they all done it within their first four years as as the head coach at USC. In fact, uh, Robinson, 
and McKay and Carroll all get it within three. Howard Jones took four, but Howard Jones has already won one at Yale in like his second year of coaching. That's going back to like 1909. Anyway, okay. So they get it within four years. The proof was already in the pudding by year four. Okay, let's get Clay going into year three, even though he really had the majority of 2015, right? Let's yeah. get into year three. So my first question was, do you think he'll win a national title by the end of next year, meaning 2019? I said no to that. I don't, yeah. I don't think so. Um, the next question was, do I think he'll win when, like, if he were to coach his whole extension, which goes until 2023? I think maybe. I think that's realistic. If he got to coach at USC until 2023, I'm, I'm not... Ready to say, like, he will win a national title, but I also would not say with confidence that he wouldn't either. It's not impossible. I think that it's totally possible. Well, it could become very possible, too, if, like, Nick Saban and Urban Meyer retire or something like that. You know what I mean? Because, you know, all of a sudden those those two programs kind of seem in the way. Yeah, the I don't think that should, that should even matter, really, if, if you have... What, six more years? I'm just talking? saying, when you're, thinking, when you're talking yeah. about future stuff... All of that matters, right? USC's at a level where it's like, hey, like definitely by 2023, they it could be the best football. Yeah, team they're not they're not like extremely far from winning question. a national title. Yeah, yeah, and it's far enough away too that some of the roadblocks might yeah. not be there in the future. So the so. the the last question to that was, when would you move on from him? At what point would you move on um, if he hadn't won yet? And that could be any year. That could be the the end of the extension, or it could be before that. And I said by 2020. I think by 2020, this team should should be there where they could win. I think they're uh, – actually, I think I said 2021. <laughs> I don't remember what I said now. That's fine. Yeah. So. What, what would you say? I I agree with that well, same time frame. What? Because like, what, what year? 2020 or 2021 because uh, I also – I kind of think about what they brought in this year, and I know it's recruiting, right? And none of this stuff might matter, but he's brought in arguably the best quarterback in the country in his class, arguably the best receiver, another five-star receiver. You know what I mean? They're, they should be juniors and seniors by the time that happens, by by you know the time we think we figured it out or whatever with Clay Helton. I would just think that, you know, he, it's not like he m- missed in this class and like set himself up to fail in the next three years. Or they're they're rebounding off sanctions, or they're still taking, you know, twelve man classes, or whatever else. It just feels like, yeah, the pieces are there. That if you're the guy, if you have the staff to do it, yeah. it should happen. Yeah, just what it feels like. Okay. So I found my answer in twenty twenty one. I got confused because a lot of people that replied, they said twenty twenty. That was probably I the, would not imagine the most popular. one person would be nicer to Clay Helton than you. I'm blown away. <laughs> so. Yeah, I figured my logic was um, if Daniel were to redshirt, then by that okay. by that point he would be in year four, but maybe thirty year playing or however it shakes out. But I think he would have been yeah. at USC long enough if he's this good. To take them there, 
But I, I think you're going to see the maturation, or you should see it, on both sides of the ball, offensive line, defensive line, by 2020, 2021, yeah. that they should be able to win a national title yep. by that point. And hey, if uh, if Clay Helton and T. Martin you know, can really develop quarterbacks and offenses the way they should, maybe uh, JT Daniels will be at another school by 2021, and they will have already won with another quarterback. Okay, so that is definitely something that we need to touch on. Ooh, yeah. look at me with the transition. We're, we're definitely going to be previewing spring football in full. We're less than two weeks out. They begin on March 6th. And Are we going to do another podcast before yeah, March 6th? Yeah, we will. Are we sure? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but a reminder for everyone, all the practices are open to the public. They're Ooh. free, including Ooh. the spring game, which doesn't have a home yet. But I'm going to guess that they'll do it at the track stadium. Okay. It, it just would seem to make most sense to do it there. Um, it could be at Howard Jones. I have a candidate at Howard Jones before when I was young. I remember I met Keyshawn, in fact. Oh, I was, wow. Yeah, I got his autograph. I was like 10 years old. But um, I think they're going to do a track stadium. We'll let you know when we find out. Anyway, okay. Look, they should hit the Rose Bowl. <laughs> let's talk about J.K. Daniels because the last time we talked about him – Last time we did a podcast, he was still a junior in high school. And, and now, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's going to be at USC uh, sooner rather than later. What's your gut feeling right now? Because he's not going to participate in spring practice. So without the benefit of watching the pseudo-competition that they're going to have in spring between Jack Sears and Matt Fink, how do you think it plays out this fall with J.K.? I would pick against him. Okay. Uh, I, You know, I totally believe that USC probably wants him to be the guy and that uh, if, it, if things start to go badly or, you know, maybe if another quarterback that is starting doesn't perform, maybe they make that switch. I just – it's hard for me to imagine – and I know he's supposed to be so good, and he is good, and I like him as a player and all that, but it's just hard for me to imagine that, you know, he could come in without with missing spring and before the start of the first game surpass quarterbacks that have been there for a year or two. And maybe, right? Yeah. It could happen. I just, I well, if I had to bet, I would bet against right. it. And, I mean, logically, it would seem extremely unlikely to come in really the end of summer and win the job in about a month and a half before yeah. the opener. But yeah. it could count that much of a difference over the other two. Like we, I think we have to start there because See, obviously he's not going to have a full handle on the playbook and you know he, they wouldn't give him the full offense and everything. But if you could see him kind of jump off the pages in the way that he plays. And the other two, maybe if, if they're not impressive, then this would be the time to do it. Because 
neither Sears nor Fink are at a point where even Max Brown was going into 2016. Fink is, yeah, Fink see, is a year behind that, and then Sears is two years behind where Max Brown yeah. was. Go ahead. It's it's hard for me to gauge because I think he could be. I think if he is everything that he is hyped to be, he is probably that much more talented than the other two, uh, or everybody else on the roster, I guess I should say. But um, Jack Sears, to me, while I don't think he's, like, the elite, elite-level guy, like, you know, the super freak, future Heisman, whatever guy, I thought he was really, really good in high school. I think he's a really good quarterback. So He produced at an elite level. It's kind of been forgotten yes. because he's been at USC for over a year, and maybe he's not really physically impressive and i thought he was i thought he was underrated coming out of high school and he was in the rivals 250 i think he was a borderline rivals 100 guy and i honestly think he was underrated i thought he was one of the best quarterbacks clearly uh in that Mm -hmm. class uh it just depends because if i don't think he's like the top 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 so if jt daniels is that guy maybe he is that much more talented than him I just think there's a chance that JT Daniels isn't that guy. And I don't even think that's far-fetched. I don't think that that's, uh, you know, something to get upset about if USC fans are listening to this podcast going, how could he say that about, you know, the guy that was ranked number one in 2019 and number four overall in the 2018 class when he reclassified by Rivals.com or whatever he was. He was something like that. Um, It's happened so many times before that I just don't care what those rankings say. I don't care what I see on film. I don't care what I see in person. He might not be that guy. Yeah, sure. He Jack Sears might just be better than him regardless, mm. and he might be older than him. <laughs> might be. That might be what's <laughs> happening. Now, I don't Freudian know. Slip. Oh, my field. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. That's good. That is a Freudian slip. JT might be 36 years old. Okay, no, that's a bad joke. Um but do you see my point is that, in you know, if we're just going by, I would guess JT's more talented. Uh, you know, he he has a chance to be that once-in-a-generation type quarterback, and maybe he makes me look stupid, and he comes in, and he's so much better than everybody else, blows everybody away, and I feel dumb. And people listen back to this podcast and laugh at me for even saying that they could they be will, compared. They will, no matter what. There's also, yeah, they will. But yeah. there's also a chance that he's just not that good, and maybe Jack Sears is that good. Yeah. So... I'm betting on Jack Sears right now. Mm-hmm. That's who I would bet on right now, and I reserve the right to change my mind in fall camp. You know, of course, and we have to watch them. Right now, we're really guessing, and we have such a limited sample size from what I've seen because of, I have been able to watch thinking Sears practice you know, every day that they've, that they've been practicing at USC. And... I definitely lean towards Sears. I think he's much more accurate, uh, more confident in the pocket. Um, I like his decision-making. I like his anticipation. I think physically there's not a lot separating them, um, but I think Sears throws a better ball. Fink has the better wheels. I don't know how big of a, an element in the offense that would be. If they were really going to rely on that, then I think you could probably interject him. But 
from what I've seen, I don't see him being the full-time starting quarterback at USC. I don't see him winning that job. With Sears, I feel like right now he's someone that you would probably feel good about handing over to drive the car. That's where he's at. You know, he, he doesn't pop off the way Darnold did when he went up against the scout, you know, when he was with the scout team going up against the first team defense throughout his, you know, first season at USC. He does make plays, and without the benefit of there being a, a real pass rush, we haven't seen all of him. You know, I remember talking to Darnold's high school coach, which, of course, is also Sears' high school coach, and a point that he kept making over and over and over was that you're not getting a full Darnold in practice, and you won't until he plays. And truer words weren't spoken, right? I mean, it, it was a world of difference when he got to play between him and Max Brown. Where in practice, I thought, okay, well, Darnold's better and he's younger, and therefore I would expect him to just be better. And I think he'll just catch up to Brown quickly if he hadn't already. But that was without a live rush. In a moment that they, you know, stepped on the field on a Saturday, it, it was evident. There's your quarterback. With Sears, yep. you can't just say that that will happen, but stylistically, he he seems to want to do the, a lot of the same things that Darnold would want to do. Um, he might not be as much of a playmaker, and therefore might be a little bit more careful. I know that a lot of people are, you know, are yearning for that, you know, to protect the ball more because it became such an issue with Darnold last season. But I, I wouldn't call Sears like a Darnold clone or a mini Darnold. I just think that there are similarities in their game. And I look forward to seeing him play because I think that we're not really getting all of him. And you can argue that with Fink as well, because when he did get to play, he ran, and he had the, he had the big run. He had the big, the long touchdown run. That's really all he's gotten. He hasn't really been able to do much. Uh, he hasn't been given the opportunity to do much. So I don't think that we, we really know everything about him either. But I'm picky with quarterbacks, and I think that at the end of the day, unless you're special, Athletically, I mean special like Michael Vick is special athletically or Colin Kaepernick was special athletically. Unless you're that, Russell Wilson, right? You have to be able to win in the pocket. You have to win in the pocket. And I'm just not confident right now in what I've seen from Fink that he would do that. Where with Sears, I think uh, I see, I see the pieces there, right? I see like what could happen, what that could become. The foundation is there, um, 
but it, it should be good competition for them. Even though I don't expect any kind of decision by the end of spring, especially because JT's coming in the fall, but I think just where these two quarterbacks are at, even if JT weren't coming, they probably would want to give it more time. And and so these practices are really their opportunity to work with the first team. Because neither one of them has really done that. And I think you're going to see, I would expect a 50-50 split between them. And that's really good for both of them. It's good for both of them to go up against that defense, uh, play with that offense. In fact, that was one thing where I really felt like the, the staff kind of fell short in the competition two years ago, where, if you remember, Darnold did not get a lot of first-team reps. He might have faced a first-team defense. That part I'm, I'm not recalling as well. But I know that he didn't work with the first-team offense very much. For a while, he didn't do it at all, and then he started to get integrated. But even in in the fall, when they came back, and the competition was still going, because I think they were already kind of set on Brown, uh, you expected him to, to start the opener and were preparing for that. Darnold worked almost exclusively with the second team offense in training camp that year. Yeah, I think that was a mistake. I think that they're going to have to play differently, at least in spring. And then, you know, if, if they have a front runner, if they feel like one guy separated himself, and then he wins those first-team reps, then so be it. Um, and that could happen. I guess I'm, I'm not really expecting that to happen. I think that we're just going to see a competition. I don't know that, you know, while I'm favoring Steers right now, like, that's who I would, I would put the odds in favor of, I wouldn't bet that he really separates himself in spring. I don't know. Just the way that they've they've run these spring practices the last few years, I'm not confident that that will happen. I don't think they're really gonna put them in that sort of situation where they're really like they're being judged like head to head. Anyway, all right. What? Uh, let's wrap up. Before we do, um, what is one thing that you're eager to to learn or or watch in spring practice. And we're going to go over a lot of this stuff in the coming weeks. We'll go through you know, players to watch and position battles. And you can name one now if you like. But I just want to know, your know, final take, beyond the quarterbacks, what is something that you want to see in this spring practice? Well... Uh, I I think that a few things I won't be able to know. Uh, I'm watching the offensive line. I think that I'm watching the offensive line uh, from here uh, going forward. Uh, I'm watching the defensive line because they have to rebuild and reload and uh, do some things there, and I'm watching the running back. So I kind of want to see, hey, does Stephen Carr look like Stephen Carr before he was hurt? Is there another running back on the roster that's impressive? Does the offensive line get a push in practice? If not, is that because of the defensive line that they're going up against is really good? You know, and if they are getting a push, is it because that defensive line isn't ready? So I'm watching the trenches a lot. 
and I'm watching the running backs, and that's really what I, I'm interested in. Uh, maybe replacement for Chenna Nwosu. That's something that I think you know jumps out to me a little bit too. Is is there going to be a guy on the edge like him, or I? There won't be. So I guess I shouldn't say that. But I think there's a lot of exciting things to watch this spring. I'm gonna be watching all the content you bring us. How about that? <laughs> yeah, we'll be bringing. Yeah, in fact, you've uh, you've gotten a, a head start on this 2019 class. USC's already been very active, pretty aggressive with the class of 2019. They've offered four guys while we've been recording this podcast, so. (laughs) You're not joking either. I'm not joking. I know. Yeah. Okay. Um, But you already have a number of updates on on these offers and actually something that you're constantly working on. Um, What are some of the things that uh, you've been populating this guy with that you want to share? Well, just recently, I uh, I went through because of the rivals. Uh, the rivals 100 and the rivals 250 were released in the last two days. So I just went through those lists, and I listed all the USC targets uh, that are ranked. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them, uh, and I put you know updates on if people had top lists or whatever else. You know where USC kind of stood with them, and gave that little update if there is one. Uh, there's gonna be it's gonna be a talented 2019 class if USC can you know perform the way they did in 2018. I can tell you that already just by looking at that list. But that's definitely something to check out. Uh, I also I'm just gathering updates on kids that get offered. So as they get offered, uh, I'm calling them, trying to you know put it up. I have something on Devonte Dobbs up right now as we're recording this. Probably before you hear this, uh, I will have. Recruiting updates up on DeMarvin Leal and Nathan Pickering. They were all offered very recently. They're all interested in USC and considering visits. Uh, I think Nathan Pickering, who's a defensive lineman from Mississippi, USC might have a really good chance with him. I'll just tease you with that, so you'll have to go check out the story. Uh, But some of the stuff he's saying I think is pretty interesting. So keep an eye out for that. And there's going to be plenty more. I'm going to keep calling kids every day. I'll have more and more updates, and uh, things are heating up now. They're going crazy with the offers, so there's going to be a lot of content coming. So stay tuned for it, and sign up if you're not signed up. Yeah, be sure to check out our football coverage as well. Um, I'm going to begin a depth chart breakdown, and I'm going to project the depth chart as well because USC is now in the habit of not releasing a depth chart until – training camp and then during the season they're just not doing them in the spring anymore and uh, that's fine because I'm there and I can kind of you know basically connect a lot of dots and typically have a, a pretty good sketch in fact I'll even I even confer with players uh, and, and coaches you know that are willing to, to share with me about what the depth chart really is, uh, you know, coming out of spring. So that's something that we're going to be breaking down going into spring and, and coming out of it as well. And then uh, a couple of new features that we've started recently where we're having a, a question of the day, a debate of the day, and you know, a couple of them we shared during this show where we'll ask you a question like, like I mentioned, do you think Clay Hill can win a national title at USC? Um, and then the, that's more of a debate. And then the question of the day is something like a trivia question, which have been fun. You know, the 
I think one of the last ones I put up was, um, you know, when was the last time? Well, USC actually, they allowed 4.35 yards per rush last season. It didn't feel like that, right? It didn't feel like it was that high of a number. No. 4.35, that, that's not a good number. And the last time that they had actually allowed more than that was 2010. 2010, they allowed 4.39. And that's the highest figure. So 4.35, 4.39, those were the highest figures going all the way back to, they hadn't topped that since 1991. So over the last 25 years, from 92 to 2017, this was the second highest total that they allowed per run as a defense. I was very surprised to learn that. So that's the kind of stuff that we throw in there for the question of the day. Anyway, just keeping the, the conversation going at trojansports.com. And we'll be back with podcasts. All right. Well, I guess that's uh, my sign to take it away when you say all right and stop saying anything. For Adam J. Maya, I'm Chris Swanson. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you are not a member of trojansports.com, Sign up at usc.rivals.com slash sign underscore up. And uh, we'll see you on the message board when you do that. Take care. Adios, amigos.